0: (laughs) this is lead up and speak up
1: lead up's podcast series hello and welcome so today's guest is stephanie lorenzo who is the communications director at voices of faith she has quite an interesting story for us today but we'll let her share that with all of you so stephanie first of all thank you for
0: Thank you for having me.
1: And just to start, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I was born in the Philippines, raised here in Sydney. I have a background in marketing and comms, and I thought that I would sort of climb the ranks in advertising in the PR world to become the CEO of an advertising agency by the time I was 30. But instead, I read a book when I was 21 about a woman who was sold into sexual slavery, and I wanted to do something to support that woman. So I organised a fundraiser, a bike ride, to support this safe house that she had in Cambodia. And... We raised $80,000 and we got 21 people to join us and we got to visit this safe house in Cambodia in March 2009 and I came back from that experience and went, oh my God, I just can't live my normal life anymore. I need to do something to help this issue of human trafficking and slavery. So like anything, you can't work in charity and live in Sydney very well, especially if it's sort of a startup. There was not many organizations out there that I knew dealt in this issue. And so I started a charity three months after coming back from that bike ride and I worked full-time in marketing and comms and then I I sort of started Project Futures as a side gig just to continue to ignite that passion to raise funds and raise awareness for this woman's work. So my life was not as linear as I
1: thought it would be. Mm -hmm. How did you come across this book? Did it kind of just fall into your lap?
0: No, well actually a friend of mine who was working um, at a charity organisation asked me to come on a bike ride with her as a fundraising trip and I'd never gone through Cambodia before. I'd never really raised funds for charity before. I mean, you did stuff at school, but not to the same level. And so she said, you love cycling, you're a sporty person, you love to travel. You have to raise $5,000, I have to raise $5,000, but we get to go on this cool bike ride across Cambodia. And we were doing it for a good cause. And I said, okay, so we did it. We combined our efforts, we organized an event together and we raised $14,000 together. her charity and I went on this epic bike ride through Cambodia and it was my first time that I'd cycled through any country before and I loved it. You didn't see things through a bus window it was amazing and Cambodia like gosh 2009 so it's like 10 years ago it was so different to what it is today. There were some villages we went through that don't see tourists And when I was on the street there, if you've ever been to Cambodia, there are people selling books on the street, little girls and boys selling books on the street. I picked up a book and it was The Road of Lost Innocence by Somali Mam. And I literally read that book from cover to cover that night and was just completely blown away by this woman and her background and being in Cambodia. And I just loved the country so much. And I just happened to make friends with the tour leader who was an Aussie guy. He had set up this bike company that did bike riding groups through Southeast Asia. And I sort of said to him, hey, I've really enjoyed this, but can I do this for another charity? What if I get a couple of friends to come along? And he's like, "Yep, you get the people. I'll organize the ground stuff and let me know. And so I came back with the idea to do that because I just had such a great time and I thought all my friends would rush to join me on this bike ride for this woman's work. So that's sort of how it came about. Wow. And
1: so tell me a bit more about Project Futures. What were you focusing
0: on? So I never intended to start a charity. I mean, even the one bike ride that we did... You know, I laugh when I think about it now because we didn't have charity status. You know, we were asking our friends for money, our families for money. They were transferring it into like my bank account and then they were trusting that I transferred it over to their (laughs) bank account. It was a little bit all over the place, but you know, I'm a big believer in ask forgiveness, not permission. If you're doing it for the right reasons, you then get your shit sorted later on. So then we raised $80,000 together. There was about two friends and my sister that came, but the rest of the people were other people that had read Somali's book. We put a Facebook page together, we put a little website together and said, we're going to just do this cycle challenge for this woman. And it was really incredible. We went and visited the centre. Our money was going towards, I got to meet Somali over in Cambodia and I was just blown away. So coming back, some of the friends that came on that cycle and my sister, we sort of sat down and said, well, we have to continue to do something like $80,000 is great, but you know, some of these girls aren't even in high school. So how do we continue the support? And we just thought, okay, let's create a brand, getting young people to give back using their time skills and talents it's not about how much money you have which sometimes back in the day charity was about you know you couldn't be a young person to be a philanthropist you had to be like bill gates or you had to be at the end of your life and had made all your money you know what i mean and then you could give back sorry bill (laughs) even oprah like some you know you had to be a bit selfish first and do everything you had to do and then when you got to 65 and retired Then you could start giving back to charity. So we wanted to sort of quash that and go, well, it's not even about money. It's about awareness. It's about humanity. And if money comes, then that's amazing. So money wasn't always our goal. It was about raising funds, but it was about raising awareness. And we didn't have a target. We weren't like, we want to raise a million dollars for this. It was like, let's run a party. Let's run another bike ride. Let's run a school gig. Let's do this. Let's do that. And all of these little events that we organized as a group, as a voluntary team of friends that met up after work and on the weekends to organize this we raised a buttload of money like we were raising hundreds of thousands of dollars in our first couple of years so our first bike ride raised eighty thousand dollars we had a party i remember just after we launched project futures we made a brand out of it we got friends that put videos together and stuff like that we really used skills and talents of like a whole group of friends and i probably was just the glue that brought it all together i was probably the driver I certainly wasn't the talented one. I was just like, you, you're good at web stuff. We need this. You, you're good at photography. We need this. And our first launch party raised $9,000. Our second bike ride we did in 2010 raised $150,000. We had 25 people. Our third bike ride, I think, raised $180,000. We had 28 people. We did City to Surf's. That raised about $50,000. So it was just this collective building of people coming together, raising small amounts of money that added up. And, you know, we wanted to party for a purpose and we wanted to do really fun things for a purpose. And so Project Futures' mission is to transform and restore the lives of people affected by human trafficking and slavery. And so we're very specific in that we are a fundraising body. We are the ones that can raise awareness and raise funds here in Australia. And we partner with established service providers who have projects in Cambodia. We've had projects in Nepal and Australia as well who run safe, who know what they're doing. We're not psychologists, we're not child protection people, but we need more partnerships to work together in that way. You know, you need to be focused at what you're great at. And we were really great at making a fuss and raising money and, you know, getting on TV and getting young people excited and engaged. We wanted to market ourselves as a bit of a cool brand. And then those guys that were receiving the money knew exactly how to care and support people that had been trafficked. It was a really good partnership model we had.
1: So on the other side of Project Futures, the people that you were helping, were they children? So definitely all
0: kinds of traumas, Um, mainly they were victims and survivors of trafficking. It started with sexual trafficking because that's Somali's own story. She was a woman who was sold into prostitution at a very young age and endured real hardships. And when you go to these countries, particularly back in her day, she grew up through the Khmer Rouge time. At the end of the day, when you have nothing, when you might need to care for a sibling or a family member or your own child, what would you do? And sometimes these women would go into these situations because they needed the money, you know? It's not a black and white issue. I mean, it's black and white that human trafficking and slavery is wrong. But the reasons people go into it and the root causes of why people profit from it and so forth is just there are so many different reasons why people go into this situation migration poverty they're not educated they're from a family of five and one person has to sacrifice for the rest of them girls are not sort of valued as much as as men in some of those cultures as well and there's caste systems where that's just your life born into this and so, I think that those kind of people that we supported, there were unique stories all around. Every one of these girls just had a unique story in their own right.
1: Now, you're still working for a not-for-profit organization, but it's now Voices of Faith. Yes. So, what led you to that? What are you doing at uh, Voices of Faith?
0: So, this year's our 10th year officially with Project Futures, which is amazing. We have a, a great CEO that's leading it now. I left there about two years ago. You know. You do something for a long time and it's tiring, you know, it's emotionally draining. Fundraising is really tough. It's different now to what it was 10 years ago when there was not as many organisations out there. There are a lot of great causes that compete for time and energy from people and they're all valid. So it was just getting tough. And so I decided to uh, step down as CEO and take a bit of a break. And the funny thing was, I received an email from Voices of Faith asking me to speak. So they organized the only International Women's Day event inside the Vatican. And they had done that for the last five years since 2014. And so I got this email and it was like, hey, Steph, you're this young Catholic woman who started this charity and we'd love for you to share your story inside the Vatican for International Women's Day 2017. And I thought, "Ah, uh, yeah, how cool is that? It's like a free trip to Rome. But... <laughs> You know this this Catholic thing plagued me because I was like, "How do they know I'm Catholic?" And then I was like, "Well, I did go to a Catholic school at the time I was being asked to be on the board of my old school. I did grow up in a very devout Catholic household, but Project Features was by no means a Catholic charity. So I contacted these guys to clarify what do you mean by young Catholic? Do you just want me to share my story of project features or my faith? because I haven't really thought about that, to be honest. I haven't been to church in forever anyway they asked me to reflect on whether my faith and values and they asked me well are you still catholic and i said yes i am even though i'm frustrated by the church every day but i would still call myself a catholic i don't think i would ever not call myself a catholic i don't know why i just wouldn't maybe it's history maybe it's tradition maybe it's my parents and they said well maybe just reflect on whether your faith and values have shaped you and shaped what you did i said okay cool i'll do that so I did that, and it did. I mean, my parents' example, they're devout Catholics. They're front row mass every week. They pray the rosary every night. They pray before a meal. They pray when they get in the car. They never pushed on us, but their example, definitely. And then school. I mean, I went back to my old school. They really supported me with Project Futures and the work we did. So in a nutshell, yeah, I just basically went to the Vatican. I was able to speak about my story, and then I started to go on kind of my own journey to better understand my own faith and, yeah, what it means to be a Catholic in today's age and sometimes the frustrations of church teaching versus your moral conscience and how you can kind of bring the two together in a way that makes sense for you. And I think the biggest thing that I've learned is... There's not many of us progressive young Catholics that are proud to be Catholics and I think we need to kind of reclaim that and I think a reform of the Catholic Church at this point in time in terms of leadership and trying to get women into roles of leadership and decision making, which is what Voices of Faith does, is really necessary to have a better vision for this church moving forward because there's a lot of negativity and a lot of young people, rightly so, are frustrated and just don't want to borrow of it.
1: So you've now worked with two influential organisations, both not-for-profits, is there a reason that you continue to collaborate
0: with not organizations? So Project Futures is very much direct service support, I guess, for people, victims and survivors of human trafficking. It's very needed and it's almost more urgent. You know, when I started working for Voices of Faith that work, work to empower and advocate for women to lead in this big institution you know you kind of think oh that's is that a bit of a first world problem but the reality is no gender equality which is the real theme that i work with now gender equality not just in business not just in governments where we see the urgency in the catholic church which is the largest provider of humanitarian services maybe from the top three biggest countries in the world technically in terms of its reach if you don't have women as part of that decision-making process and leadership Shouldn't you start there? It's bigger than any government, it's got its own country. It is its own country. So I think the issue is gender equality. Why is it that the statistics on women, particularly in the developing world, are so dire? Because they're just not looked at on the same level as men. And I think that that is a real problem. And so it's not just business and society and charity. You know, church and religious institutions need to start to fly the flag for this if they really are social justice led and focused. And the institution of the church has been formed through human beings, interpreting things and putting structures in place. You know, I believe in structure, but there has to be equal structure. There has to be an equal representation of people that are part of that group. And at the moment, there's not.
1: You said that one of the problems with driving change is people not taking ownership of their Catholic or Christian identity.
0: That's exactly right. But what I hope is that we have dialogue because people are entitled to their own opinions. Um, They absolutely are. We live in a democracy. And I think there's a lot of talk about that at the moment. And this might be controversial, but I think everyone has the right to say what they want to say. I, You know, the line you cross around, whether it goes into hate speech or whether it goes into whatever. You know, if we can't offend people, we're not living in a democracy. I think people just need to not be so offended by everything, um, and they have to be able to dialogue. I just want to give an example, because two days ago, Melbourne Archbishop banned an 83-year-old Benedictine nun from speaking at a conference that she was asked to speak at in Melbourne next year. Now, this nun is amazing. Her name's Sister Joan Chittister, and she is a powerhouse. She's the most amazing speaker. She's written amazing books. She's a feminist nun from America. Peter Comenzale, the Archbishop of Melbourne, has apparently said she can't speak. This has been reported in the New York Times.
1: And she was banned for
0: being female or for other reasons? Nobody knows. But you know, the the Cardinal, when we did our International Women's Day events inside the Vatican, we know a lot about this. Last year, two of our speakers were censored from speaking at the Vatican. So we pulled it outside of the Vatican and did it down the road at the Jesuit Curia head office. So one of those people that were banned was the eighth president of Ireland, Mary McAleese. So she was a president of the most Catholic country in the world, or one of them and she was banned from speaking. She's got a canon law degree, she's incredible. Um, She's spoken out very much about the church on leadership and so forth, and she was censored from speaking at the Vatican. How is that right in this day and age? I I think we need to have more considered dialogue and get to the root of what what people are saying, not assume.
1: And in light of everything that's going on and what you've experienced throughout your career, in your opinion, What makes a true change maker? What does it take
0: to make a true change maker? I think consistency. Um, I think not wanting instant gratification. So you look up and you go, fuck, 10 years. Excuse my language. I was like, 10 years have gone by and look at all we've done. We've raised, Project Futures has raised over $6 million and supported over five projects on a long-term basis. We've seen countless women get through school, get through university, go out and work in the real world get married, that was kind of cool when we when we see survivors actually then going on with their lives, have, get married, have kids, been invited to weddings and stuff like that. I think that's pretty incredible. So I think that you're in it for the long haul. You're not chopping, changing your causes. You're not chopping, changing your why. You're just focused on what you're focused on. Um, and I think this day and age, sometimes people jump too quickly when they don't see results or they don't see what they think are results. And I think that that's a shame. Do you think that you are born changemaker, if I may say, or do you become one? I think you become one. I really don't think you're born one. I feel like your surroundings, how you were brought up, your education or your lack of education, your personality evolves differently, right? Depending on your circumstance, depending on your location, depending on your family, depending on your friends, your life can go down a million different paths. For me, I didn't seek out to be a change maker. Like I said, I, charity, working with charity wasn't what I wanted to do at all. It was just a series of things that led to me just doing one thing and doing putting one step in front of the other. And seeing that result, seeing event after event, I was like, oh wow, okay, yeah, let's do one event a year and let's do a bike ride oh, wow, that, that went well, let's do two events a year and let's do a bike ride and a marathon. And I think as long as you don't want reward, you don't, you're not doing it for accolade, you're not doing it because you want to be a change maker. You know, that word I didn't even hear about until later on. You're doing it because you are authentically just absolutely passionate about what, what it is you do. I think that that's the best thing. And it doesn't matter how big or small an impact you make. You change one life, that's a really big impact. You change 300 lives, that's a really big impact. It's the same. You just have to do what you're capable of. So I don't think you're necessarily born one. I think you have to work at it. Yeah.
1: And someone like you who is very passionate and who consciously chose to follow this path, how about getting other people involved in this course? Mm. When you know that they care deep yes. down. How do you get people on board with a course like this and to act?
0: So Project Futures, that organisation, it was very much about using people's time, skills and talents where they could. So people might just want to come to an event and pay, that's fine. People might not want to pay, they might want to be a DJ, they might want to be a band member, they might want to do that. I think Project Fitch just sort of caters to that in a small way, because we can't be everywhere. But I also think that in the issue of human trafficking, you've got to think about it in the sense that every single thing that we consume is made somewhere and by someone. I think one thing that I've completely learned, you need to meet people where they are. We ran events because we knew what millennials liked, because that was our target audience, because we liked it. And they would come in droves or they would help out with their skills and that was totally fine. I think everyone's got their own different path in life, but if they can't give money or if they can't volunteer their time, I think one thing that everyone can do is be really conscious about their surroundings what they're buying how much they're consuming i think if you are catholic we actually have a campaign online at the moment where we want you to write your message of equality to pope francis so you just get online on our website OvercomingSilence.com. it's a global campaign where we're trying to encourage catholics around the world to share their message of equality and some of the messages up there are pretty amazing and you can just see That women deserve to be part of the leadership of the church that they form majority of. There's a statistic that women make up more than 60% of the church. And you kind of think, if they make up more than 60%, why aren't they part of leading it? You know, why aren't they alongside leaders that are male? And many of these roles are not roles where you have to be a priest, so they're theoretically open to women. It's like board roles, they're theoretically open to women, why aren't more women in them?
1: And with the men in the church, for example, that perhaps don't believe they will benefit from having more women, that's why they aren't getting on board, what are you seeing in the ones that are very much on the side of gender equality?
0: Men that support this campaign have daughters, have wives, they are respectful and they realise that women have a right to lead. They realize that women do a majority of the work and have a unique perspective that we are lacking. How is it that a bunch of, Mary McAlee said this, a bunch of celibate priests can give you advice on marriage or give you advice on relationships. Doesn't it seem a little bit crazy? 300 bishops or something that she was at were giving a talk on what women want. And then she's like, want to know what women want? Ask us. Don't sit in your own little chambers and, like, discuss what women want when there are no women present. I just think some of those things seem so obvious. It's so obvious. But for many reasons, patriarchy, cultural, societal, power, it doesn't trickle down. Why? Why will you not give women a vote on big issues that affect their communities and themselves? We just need to keep them accountable the same way we keep governments ministers accountable the same way you keep maybe ceos and and leaders in corporate accountable the church actually needs to live up to that because they have shown a real lack in that particularly with you know the highest person to ever be jailed an australian cardinal for abuse do you know what i mean so if it gets to that point you kind of go something's broken we've known it for a long time but i'm surprised that the bishop's and the curia and the leaders are not running to change this or to fix this, I'm kind of shocked. But.
1: So what's next for you? You're still at voices of Faith and you have something yes. to be coming up. So okay.
0: yes, I'm going to Rome and I'm going to be there for six months um, continuing to lobby the Roman career, particularly about this vote for women. So the Catholic Church has these things called synods that are convened by Pope Francis in Rome. It's kind of quite a big global convening of bishops from around the world on certain issues of the church. So the last one was the Synod on Youth. The next one's on the Amazonia region in South America. And what we hope is that women will be able to cast their vote for the first time alongside bishops. So religious women who are there, women religious, religious superiors, the people that run their own congregations who do attend these events, um, we would like them to be able to vote alongside bishops on major issues that will affect the Amazonia region, um, but just also have the ability to vote on things for the future uh, and not just leave it into the hands of one type of group of people. We haven't even been given a reason as to why women can't vote. So. You know, it's just pressuring and being able to say, if there's a reason, just tell us what the reason is. The thing is I don't think there is a common sense reason for it.
1: Just that the way things are the way things are. Wow, well I certainly hope that that will change. Yes. Uh, thanks to the work that you're doing in many other organizations.
0: Thank you. As yes, well. we hope that will too.
1: Thank you so much. Thank hope you. Chat with us.